1 Kings 10. When the Queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test Solomon with hard questions. Arriving at Jerusalem with a very great caravan with camels carrying spices, large quantities of gold and precious stones, she came to Solomon and talked with him about all that she had on her mind. Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. When the Queen of Sheba saw all the wisdom of Solomon and the palace he had built, the food on his table, the seating of his officials, the attending servants in their robes, his cupbearers and the burnt offerings he made at the temple of the Lord, she was overwhelmed. She said to the king, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me. In wisdom and wealth you have far exceeded the report I heard. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. Praise be to the Lord your God, who is delighted in you and placed you on the throne of Israel. Because of the Lord's eternal love for Israel, he has made you king to maintain justice and righteousness. Brilliant, thank you so much. Right, tomorrow morning, instead of school, instead of college, instead of work, instead of whatever's on your calendar tomorrow morning, I say... Let's go on a trip to London. And do you know what? I'm going to take you all. We'll grab, we'll grab the train. We'll go down to London. What do you want to see? Harry Potter World. Anything else? Anyone else want to see anything in London? What are you going to go and see? Just Harry Potter land. The, you want to visit the Queen? She's coming up a lot today, isn't she? Buckingham Palace? Madame Two Swords, yeah, Tower Bridge, I don't know, the sights, to go on the big wheel. Okay, let's up the stakes. Paris, tomorrow morning, Eurostar. Let's go to Paris, what do you want to go and see? Disneyland. Disneyland. (laughs) I was thinking Eiffel Tower. Are these your children, by any chance? (laughs) Eiffel Tower, the, 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 the Padlock Bridge and all that sort of stuff. Great. Is it the Louvre, if you're very cultured? But if you're going to read all those information things, I'm not coming with you, it's the cafe. Okay, I'm going to up the ante again. Um, I've managed to get flights to Sydney. And, and don't worry, there's no quarantine worries. We don't need to worry about that. We can get to Sydney. I take all day, but we'll get there. What do you want to see? Cricket, reef, opera house, the harbour, the bridge, the beach, hot weather. Okay, apparently... Uh, Okay, Sydney's the place we want to go. Just, just note that. Um, turn the clock back hundreds and hundreds of years, centuries ago. Solomon's king over God's people, Israel. And we're told of somebody going to visit. First of all, we're told that it's the Queen of Sheba. We don't, we don't know loads about her, but clearly she's an important official from another country. Uh, she doesn't come to see the sights of Israel. She doesn't come uh, for the climate or the weather. Uh, She doesn't even come necessarily to see the impressiveness of Solomon's kingdom, the palace that he's built, the temple for worshipping God that he's built. Uh, She comes to see 
if what she'd heard about Solomon was really true, about his wisdom. So read in verse 1, don't we? When the Queen of Sheba heard about the famous Solomon and his relationship to the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. Now, I don't think that means she turned up with a load of kind of riddles trying to trick him and catch him out. I think genuinely she came with the kind of big questions of life, maybe the big questions of politics and morality that were going around at that time. Uh, And we're told, verse 3, Solomon answered all her questions. Nothing was too hard for the king to explain to her. On top of this, uh, you know, we've got, it's in the context, you've got Solomon's palace. Uh, We're we're told um, there's his officials, his servants, the worship. And we're just told, aren't we? The queen of Sheba is overwhelmed. It literally says her breath was taken away. It was breathtaking. Now, don't get me wrong. I think Solomon's wealth was quite impressive. Um, You know, the amount he was was, was worth would have put Elon Musk or Jeff Bezos's hundreds of billions of dollars to, to, to shame. But I don't think it was his wealth and his riches that really impressed her. I really think it was his wisdom. Because let's just take the Queen of Sheba. She wasn't exactly on universal credit. She's a world leader. And you know, when world leaders turn up to other world leaders, they bring impressive presents, I think. Uh, and she didn't turn up with chocolates and flowers. She didn't turn up with a bottle of wine or you know, a crate of beers like we would when we go to someone's house. Uh, she turns up with, and I did, had to do some calculations on this. I might not be right. What I came up with was something like 170 million pounds worth of gold. Gosh, imagine someone turning up to your front door. I bought you a little present. Fantastic. Wow. And we're told more spices than anyone could know what to do with. So she knows what it is to have riches. What impressed her was Solomon's God-given wisdom. She says, verse 6, The report I heard in my own country about your achievements and about your wisdom is true. But I did not believe these things until I came and saw with my own eyes. Indeed, not even half was told me in wisdom and wealth you have exceeded the report I heard. What was life like with Solomon as king? What was life like for the average person? We read on verse 8. This is what the Queen of Sheba sees with her own eyes. How happy your people must be. How happy your officials who continually stand before you and hear your wisdom. You see, life under God's wisdom, the God's king, is a happy life. Now, I don't think it's that kind of happy feeling that we get that comes and goes like the smile on our face. Uh, or that feeling you get on a Friday when you realize it's oh, the end of the week. Or when you know, you're rummaging around in your trouser pockets and you find a fiver that you forgot was there. I don't think it's that kind of happy. I think it's a deeper happiness. A deeper happiness of kind of being settled with who you are and content. Knowing you're known and loved, you're safe and secure, no matter what comes your way in life. And I think it's worth pausing at this point to ask the question, what is the wisdom that leads to a happy life? This description sounds great, doesn't it? Solomon's wisdom and the happiness of the people. But what is that wisdom? And we started off, didn't we, this evening with the pictures, different famous people on the screen. Some debate over who's the wisest. And, and we kind of try and begin to define wisdom. And it's one of those things, isn't it, that you, 
You know it when you see it in someone. But when you try and explain what it is, it gets a bit harder, a bit like trying to pin jelly to the wall. What is wisdom? Is it just about knowing loads of stuff? Is it being like Stephen Fry? Or is it, is it knowing about what's right and wrong? You know, like the Pope. It seems to me it involves those things, but it's more than those things. I think wisdom is really practical. It's how we live out knowledge and morality. It's it's about navigating life really well. It's about making your way through life and doing it well. And we can hear what Solomon himself Uh, This incredibly wise king says the place to start is to find this wisdom that brings a happy life. Because we have a load of Solomon's wisdom written down for us in the Bible. We just have to turn to the book of Proverbs. In fact, I popped two Proverbs on the back of your um, your sheets. If you turn over to the back, there's two there. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 7. And chapter 9, verse 10. And they kind of say the same thing. The place to start to be truly wise, to truly be able to navigate your way through life really well, what, what do those Proverbs say? What is it? What is it you begin with? What do they say? The fear of the Lord. Now, I don't know about you, if your mind works like me, you're suddenly thinking of, I don't know, spiders or snakes or the dark or wasps or heights. Is it saying that in order to be wise, we've got to be scared of God? I don't think it's the fear of the Lord is about being scared of God, but instead it's what somebody shared with me this week, the great description. It's having massive respect for God. It's having massive respect for him. That he is God, I am not. He is God, you are not. And it's about relating rightly to him. And we see it in, in our reading from 1 Kings. So it began in verse 1. Word got around about Solomon's wisdom, and notice how it's related to his relationship with the Lord, with God. And go on into verse 9. And, uh, and this is why I think it's not about being terrified of God. Because look at how Solomon's relationship with God is described by the Queen of Sheba. Praise be to the Lord your God who is delighted in you. So we've got this wonderful picture, haven't we, of, of, of God-given wisdom that comes from relating to God rightly, that brings a happy life. The thing is, under Solomon, it's really short-lived. And in a moment, we're going to see how it goes wrong, and we're going to listen to that as a, as a warning to us and our lives. But for a moment, Solomon's reign and his wisdom and the happiness of the people give us a glimpse of what life can be like, and should be like, and will be like. Because, actually, if you... If you follow Jesus, that is, that is a life, a life of wisdom, a life of happiness, a life of relating to God rightly that, that is yours and it's mine and can be yours if you're seeking it because there is one greater than Solomon who is king. There's one who has Solomon in their family tree. Someone who isn't just wise but is wisdom himself. Jesus Christ, he came to restore life and to raise us to live out that life. If you, if you belong to Jesus right now, he delights in you. And you can experience the the happy life of being known and loved, being safe and secure, no matter what life throws your way. 
You can navigate life really well because, because Jesus lays out the wise life and he shows us how it's lived. But I think for us, there's some real value now. See, to take a few moments to see where it went wrong for Solomon. There's a bit of a, a warning to us to discover that there are things that lead us away from navigating life really well. That lead us away from being wise and from God's wisdom because they lead us away from God. And this is where I'm actually going to hand it over to you guys. Okay, uh, Feel free, if, if, if you're more comfortable to do this on your own, uh, maybe you don't want to be so close to people or you're just feeling a bit shy and that's how you work, that's absolutely fine. If you want to do it in a kind of smaller group with the people you're sitting around uh, with, please do. Uh, on the back of uh, these sheets is Deuteronomy chapter 17 and a few verses from there. Have a, have a read of those. And then in your groups on your own, pick up the story of 1 Kings uh, from 1 Kings chapter 10 verse 14. And, and, and maybe read through to... Chapter 11, verse 6. Okay, so it's a bit of a chunk. So read Deuteronomy 17, verses 14 to 17. And pick up the story in 1 Kings 10, 14. Go through to chapter 11, verse 6. And just try and join the dots. What are some of those things that might have led Solomon away from wisdom? Uh, feel free to make noise, to talk to people. Uh, we don't have to do this in silence. Uh, but we'll see where we land in a few moments. Okay, I'm going to call us back to order. Kind of this side of the room, what might be one, one of the things that might have led Solomon away from his wisdom because it led him away from his relationship with God? Yes. He overdid it on the wives' front. He it on the wives front. I think that's probably an understatement, isn't it? Uh, was it seven, 700 wives and 300 concubines? I mean, wow. Somewhere in the middle, um, another thing that might have led Solomon away uh, from his wisdom because it, it just started to take him away from, from being wholeheartedly devoted to God. What did he come up with? One thing. Too much money. And specifically, it kind of puts it in the language of gold, I think, doesn't it? Gold and silver. And it, I, love, I love reading those um, verses at the end of uh, chapter 10 because it couldn't be emphasized any more just how everything is gold and a bit more gold and some more gold and a bit more gold and there's gold and there's gold I mean silver was to we want silver the only okay excess of gold uh, and this side of the room another another thing that might have led Solomon away from being wise the horses Lots of horses and chariots. And, and, and I don't know if you noticed, it's very specific. It's horses, especially horses from Egypt. It seems like there are two warning alarms, the gold and the horses. I mean, there's, there's warning bells ringing. But where things really hit a downfall are, are these... And, and I mean, the 700 and the 300, I mean, they sound like huge figures and it sounds a bit fanciful and, and ridiculous and impossible, but... You know, if you think he's a kind of world leader in that time and making political alliances, that's probably explaining a lot of these marriages. But in doing so, his experience of these relationships is that is, those relationships took his heart away from God. And he's no longer wholeheartedly devoted to God. That, that relationship with the Lord is impacted. 
And if that's the starting point for being wise, suddenly wisdom gets eroded down. And now, I, I suspect you look at your life and go, well, I've not got a problem with horses. Does anyone, anyone own a horse? I probably shouldn't ask that, should I? Anyone here own a horse? Let alone several. Anyone own a chariot? No. no. Anyone got a problem with excessive gold? I mean, is your, is your cellar full of bullion? It's not, is it? Anyone, anyone got 700 wives? If, you, if that is you and you're keeping quiet, we'll have a conversation at the end of this. I need to have words with you. Okay, and we kind of think, well, that's Solomon. I mean, it's just it's got nothing to do with my life, except that if we begin to track back a bit and, and see what's at the heart of these things, we suddenly realize it's not that far away from us. I mean, the horses, the chariots, is that not an expression of, of power and strength? and influence, the excess of, of, of gold. Uh, I mean, it might not be gold for us, but you know, whether, it's, whether it's our bank balance, our possessions, our houses, our cars, our wealth, many wives. Uh, you know, the issue might not be having um, multiple spouses, but we can put a huge emphasis on wanting to be married if we're not. When we are married, you know, that becoming the most important relationship of all. And that's not to say if you're married that your relationship with your spouse isn't important, because it is. And, and we, we kind of land on these three things, power, money, and sex, which I think Christians down through the centuries have, have noticed are three things that in and of themselves aren't bad. They're not bad. But when we start to misuse them, they're really dangerous. Because they can grab our hearts and they lead us away from the Lord. Or you could think about it this way. Instead of your walk with Jesus shaping your relationship with those things, those things begin to shape your walk with Jesus. Does that make sense? So instead of your walk with Jesus shaping how you relate to those things, those things start to shape how you walk with Jesus. And that's, I think, Solomon's experience, isn't it? Now, power, um, I mean, yeah, we don't have a problem with horses. All of us are probably concerned about what other people think of us. We probably at times work hard to get what we want, knowing that it's possibly coming at the expense of someone else. Having influence isn't necessarily wrong. But if it becomes a thing that drives us and motivates us, if how people view us, you know, what we put on social media, that kind of image management we do. It's not necessarily a case of right and wrong. It's a case of wisdom. How wise is that? And then we look to Jesus. You know, Jesus never owned a horse. But he did ride into Jerusalem on the back of a borrowed donkey. And then he went on and told us that true greatness, if you want to be great, and being great is a good thing to aim for, if it's true greatness, is to serve to lay down your life for others. Excessive gold, I suspect we might not have a problem with gold, but I've got a house full of stuff. You've probably got a house full of stuff. And quite a lot of it, if we're honest, if I'm honest, we don't actually need it. But do you know what? There's more stuff that I want. I find my, oh, I'd quite like to get that. That'd be really nice to have. It's not a question necessarily if it's right or wrong, but is it wise? 
Is it going to be shaped by my walk with Jesus? Or is it going to shape my walk with Jesus? And we look to Jesus, one who is infinitely richer than Solomon. Solomon was loaded. We were told he became poor for us, so we might share in his riches eternally. The relationships one. We, we read in the Old Testament many kind of kings of Israel having many wives, and we kind of think, but doesn't the Bible say that marriage is about one man, one woman? And yet it says about these many wives of kings, and does that mean it's okay? Just because it happened doesn't mean it's okay. The Bible's often just stating how it was. But the Bible has a, a glorious picture of what marriage is about, and that marriage is the place for sex, and our romantic relationships, well, they, they reach our hearts like nothing else does. And, and therefore, if, you know, if we're with somebody who maybe doesn't share that desire to love Jesus the way we do, can you see how easy it might begin to be pulled away? It's not a question of right or wrong. It's not a question of right or wrong. It's a question of, is this wise? And we look to Jesus. You know what? He didn't have, any, he didn't have many wives. In fact, he, he never married. Don't, don't listen to Dan Brown. He's not got any illegitimate children anywhere. But he does, he does have one wife. He has a bride, his church, who he laid down his life for. Now, it might be easy with those kind of power and money and sex to kind of just see in our own lives where, where actually we're not being wise or our wisdom's being eroded away. doesn't mean it's a disaster for us. There is still a wise thing that we can do. Wisdom takes you back to Jesus, the one who forgives us and invites us again. He says, come, come and live wisely. Come and live like me and come and do it with me. See, Jesus doesn't just talk about how to live wisely. He lived it out perfectly for you, for me. And do you know what? It's a wisdom that leads to a happy life. Not a smiling life, but a happy life. Because here's the thing. Here's the thing I want to land on. Jesus' concern for your good and your happiness is even greater than your own. 